at how to have a nice life. And I truly want that for all of you. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. I want you to have a great life too. And the best way that I can advise anyone to have the kind of life that you will never regret is to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I make absolutely no apology to invite you to give the authority of your life to him. And so many people that I know have done that, and I have done that, and I've never regretted it. So the question then that you might have is, how exactly does one become a Christian? Maybe you already are a Christian, and you would struggle to explain it to someone else. Maybe you're exploring what it means to be a Christian, and you're interested in being all in, but you just don't know what that would look like. Let's talk about that today. The best way I know how to tell you to follow Jesus is to show someone committing to Jesus. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to Acts? Acts is an account of how the church began. It's how the church grew. And uh, if you're watching online, you can pull this up on your Bible app or it'll be on, the, on your screen as well. And we're going to look at a true example of someone becoming a Christian. This is out of Acts chapter 16. Acts was written by a man named Luke who was a doctor, a physician, a medical doctor. And he was actually here for what he's about to write about. Because he says we. So when he talks about we, it's he along with the preaching duo of the Apostle Paul and Silas. And they might have had an intern with them, a young man named Timothy, who became a great pastor. So this is Acts 16:11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. The next day, we landed at Neapolis. And from there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. They've now entered Europe. They're in Greece. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized, along with the other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us, and so we agreed. All right, so a question for you. You don't have to answer out loud. But what did Lydia do to become a Christian? Just look through there. She was open to what God was doing in the world. She was already a believer in God. She was open to what Paul told her about Jesus. She accepted the message of her own free will. No one coerced her. She and her whole family thought this is the best thing they'd ever heard in their life. They accepted the message. They were baptized probably right there in the river where this parkside area was of prayer. And that's how they did it. Now, the next question I would have is, so what was it that Paul told her that she agreed with? So she became a Christian because she accepted the message of Christ. What is that message? Well, we don't have to guess that either because the Apostle Paul wrote a good number of things to churches that are in the Bible. We have what he wrote to the, the church in Rome, and it's in your Bible as the book of Romans. I'd invite you to go ahead and go there to Romans chapter 10, and Paul just lays out, here's what I tell people about Jesus and how to become a Christian. And he says in verse 8, in fact, it says, he's referring to another part of the Bible, he says, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile, same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sounds pretty consistent. It sounds consistent with what we read in Acts. Lydia believed this message about Jesus that anyone and everyone, whether you were Jewish growing up or you were a Gentile who grew up far from God or somewhere in between, 
you accept Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, you'll be saved. And I want you to notice this. This is so important. What, is there any group that's excluded from this? I'm, I'm figuring between anyone and everyone. That probably includes most everybody, wouldn't you? And here's why I say that. I so many times have conversations with people who go, well, yeah, sure, but there's always an asterisk, and I'm the asterisk. I'm the exception. I'm the one who's had a life that's so far from God that he didn't really mean me, or he didn't mean my uncle, or he didn't, you know, like you always, either you think about yourself or somebody else. No, don't do that. God is literally willing to welcome anyone, no matter what they've done, where they've been, into his family. This is the message that he preached, and that's the message that anyone even today, 2,000 years later, could accept to become a Christian. I'm going to show you another example of somebody coming to Christ. This is back in Acts, and you want to go back to Acts chapter 2 for this. This is literally day one of the church. This is the day that it all started. The apostle Peter was preaching in the city of Jerusalem. There were thousands of people who had gathered around, and he just started talking to them and preaching to them, and the other apostles were repeating what Peter said. And uh, he just powerfully put before them that Jesus is the one that they should give their whole life to. And you get down here to verse uh, 36. Peter's kind of wrapping things up. He says, let everyone in Israel know for certain God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I'm going to stop there for a second. I want you to know how, how long was it after Jesus was crucified that this sermon was being preached? It's a month and a half. This is fresh. People are still talking about Jesus being taken outside the city and killed by the Romans. And Peter says to this crowd of thousands of people, you all did that. That guy you got killed, that was the son of God. Great job. Well, the Holy Spirit was working on these people. You look in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Oh my gosh, how can we ever be saved from this? Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, it's for all your children, it's for all who are far off, all who have been called by the name of the Lord our God. It gives me goosebumps because we are the ones who are the far off ones. 2,000 years ago, Peter was talking about us. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Of course he did. That's what preachers do. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were what? Baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. This is, I could just go through Acts. I could show you over and over and over again. When people came to Jesus, it started with hearing the message about Jesus. It resulted in them being baptized into Jesus. Belief followed by baptism is always the order. There are some exceptions there, but it just proves the point. This is, this is the way you do it. You hear about Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you accept him, you show your faith in Jesus by being baptized in the water. Which, if this is true, and you, you follow through the Bible and you study it out for yourself, I don't want you just to take my word for it, but if that's true, then that means there's some things that people think of as becoming a Christian that really aren't. And I'll give you one classic example. You are not a Christian just because your parents were Christians. It's not something that gets passed along genetically like blue eyes and red hair and, you know, an awesome sense of humor. It's, uh, you know, you know, your grandparents may have gone to church their entire lives, and that's awesome for you, and you've got that legacy and heritage of faith, but that doesn't make you a Christian either. It's something that you and I and everyone else has to choose for themselves. Uh, you have to choose this for yourself. You don't just inherit it. Here's another thing that people think. You don't become a Christian because you crossed a certain threshold of the number of times that you went to church. Uh, you, I don't know, I, I can't remember who first said this, but I love it. Some people said I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church every morning, every night, every Wednesday night. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. 
It doesn't make you a Christian. You know, think of it this way. You can go to you know, the fire station, and you can hang out. You might have a friend who's a firefighter who lets you play with the, the fire truck and beep the horn and maybe start it and play with the hose, whatever. It doesn't make you a firefighter. It doesn't make you a police officer to put lights on your car and a uniform on and pull people over. It just makes you creepy. Yeah. And I'm not saying you're creepy by going to church. I'm just saying this isn't, there's more to it than this. Likewise, it's not like that you could read the Bible so much that you could pass a Bible knowledge test with 100% or that you've done generous, good things with your money or that you've done wonderful things for other people. Those are awesome, and I'm not discounting any of that. It's just not what makes you a Christian. It's not anything like being good like that at all. Here's another one, and I, I've talked to enough as a student minister especially. You may have gone to church camp one year, and all your friends are going into the pool to be baptized, and you thought it was a cool thing your friends were doing, and you didn't really know what was going on, but you liked the counselor, or you just thought it was fun, and so, you know, you, you got baptized too, but it meant nothing to you other than I'm just doing what everybody else is doing, or you, you prayed a prayer sometime, but you didn't really know what you were doing. It's not just something that happens accidentally. It's not something that you go into that you choose. It, here's another one too. You're not a Christian by default until you choose something else. I don't know that people think that as much today as they did when I was younger. Everybody kind of had this thought process that said, we're a Christian country in America, right? So that means I'm a Christian. And so therefore, I'm a Christian until I choose to be Buddhist or Hindu or um, Muslim or something else. And that's really not how it works either. In fact, becoming a Christian is not choosing a religion at all. It's committing to a person. You're committing to Jesus with your whole life. And you're asking for him to save you. I like to think about it this way. Many, many years ago, Kirsten and I started dating. It was April 19th. It was a Friday. We went to dinner, and then we went and played indoor putt-putt at Northwest Plaza. So that should tell you how long ago it was. Some of you are going like, I don't even know what North Plaza was. It doesn't exist anymore. Sorry. It was like 500 years ago. And we had a great time. Apparently, I didn't annoy her too much because she went out with me again three days later on my birthday, April 22nd, on a Monday. And we just kept dating. We had some long distance, so we wrote letters to each other. Uh, into the next year, we were continuing to date, and I got brave, and I asked her to marry me. And then I realized I hadn't asked her dad yet, so I had to make a quick phone call. So that was in April also, the next year. And then we got married in October, and we've been together for decades. Now, my question for you is, did I goof up part of that story? Okay. <laughs> I hear laughter from my wife's section of the church, and I don't know. <laughs> At what point were we firmly committed to one another? At what point were we official? I mean, you can make a case that we are official on day one because, look, we've got a long track record with each other. You can make the case that we were committed to each other the day that I asked her to marry me. You could make the case that we were married, you know, anywhere along the way. But I think we all kind of get it that there's a moment when, when you really love someone, you, you go public with it, right? You, you buy the ring, you get down on your knee, then you go in front of all your family and your friends and your loved ones, and you swear before God and your spouse and everyone else who's watching, till death do us part, and you kind of go, okay. And, and I'm not trying to say that this is an analogy to, to what you're doing when you're becoming a Christian, literally, but it does make sense. Can you, if you are a Christian, point to some point in your life where you actually made the commitment? If, if you're thinking about, well, okay, I think I want to be a Christian, I just want to help you out here. The Bible gives you a way to express your commitment to him, to say, I'm fully in to trust Jesus Christ. And so it's not something you have to wonder, I don't know if I am or not, I think I kind of am, I, maybe I did something somewhere along the way. You, you, uh, you make the choice. 
you, with your mouth, confess Jesus as Lord. You've already made a decision in your heart, sincerely, with your own free will. I'm committing the rest of my life to this. I'm all in. You declare it before everybody else, just like when you gasp out, till death do us part, and put the rings on. You, you go into the water, and you're baptized into Jesus Christ, and you're saying very publicly, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is me. This is me trusting my eternity to Jesus. You know, in the lifetime of Connection Christian Church, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people who've made that commitment. We've had the privilege over and over to watch people commit to Jesus, young people, older people, to be baptized into him. It's been amazing. We've had people who come here and said, I'm a Christian, but I never had the opportunity to be immersed. So we've been able to share that experience with people as well. And it's just been an amazing thing. And I'm wondering if maybe God is speaking to you and saying, it's time for you to get official. You know, we've been living together long enough. Let's get married. Let's make this real. Let's go ahead and say that you're committed to Jesus for the eternity of your lifetime and, and beyond. And I think maybe some of you are ready to mark a turning point in your life and say, I'm all in. And maybe you're even thinking this at home, that this, that this is time to get serious. Some things in your life have been not working the way they should, and you think maybe you need to turn to God. I'm telling you, you will never regret this. So let's go ahead and go through this. What do you do when you're doing this? What do you do to become a Christian? I know what happens, because I know how I am. You're going to think, okay, what was it Brian said again? And so this is something that was taught to me when I was a kid. This is not out of the Bible necessarily, but if you just take your five fingers of your hand, and you can kind of remember the steps that I just went through. If you don't have five fingers, I'm not judging. I'm just, just do whatever you need to do to remember this, but this helps me. First of all, you have to hear about Jesus, number one. Uh, that's what Paul preached to Lydia and her family, and they heard the message about Jesus Christ, and they believed the message. That's number two. It's like what uh, Debbie talked about at the communion message. You hear the good news of Jesus, that he is for you, not against you, that he's willing to forgive all of your sins, and he's willing to take your life and change you into something you never could have made yourself. And to be completely forgiven, forgiven by God, to me, is enough right there. But to have this hope that life goes on after we die, that there's an eternal life in a real physical body, in a real physical place, this is all that God offers you. You hear the message of Jesus, and you believe the message. And then the question that you might have is, how do I know that I really do believe in Jesus? How do I know that I'm not just mouthing the words? Like, is God going to look at me in heaven and go, you said you believe, but I know and you know you really didn't believe. I like to think about it this way. Um, many of you have been so generous to my family. We get gift cards from you all the time, which is awesome. Thank you. We enjoy, every time we go somewhere with a gift card from you, we, we're thankful for you and we pray for you. So, like, I get a Starbucks card. When I go to Starbucks, can I tell by looking at the card if there's money on it? Now, think about it. I'm not saying, did somebody write a number on it? Can I, I, I can't read the magnetic strip. I'm going by faith that, that when you gave me the card, there was actually money on it. So when I hand it over and order my coffee, I believe, here's what I'm doing. I'm acting as though the thing is true, even though I don't for 100% certain know that it is true. You see what I'm saying? At some point, I will eventually find out that it, it was true, that my belief was well-placed. But in that moment, I'm just acting on faith. And you may say, I don't know if I'm really believing in Jesus or not. Here's what I advise you to do. Live your life as though it is true. Because there are people who say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is real. I think it's like Santa... Uh, I'm going to stop, Ryan, because there are kids watching. I believe it's like other things that aren't necessarily true. Do they know for 100% certain either? Let's just be honest. None of us know for 100% certain whether this is all legit and real or not. And we will find out. There will be a moment in all of our existence where we will know for certain whether we were right or not. 
I am banking my eternity on this and the people who told me about Jesus, that they were telling the truth, and it is a completely accurate description of reality, that God really exists, that his, he became a man, Jesus Christ, and that by committing my life to him, I will live forever. It's up to you. If you're saying, well, I don't know if I believe or not, just act as though you do. Live your life as though all of this is true, and I don't think you'll ever regret that. So you hear about Jesus, you believe in Jesus. Number three, he, the Bible says you confess, uh, you repent, I'm sorry, repent. Peter, and, and when he's talking about to the crowd, what do we need to do to make this right? We, we killed the son of God. He said you need to repent. A good way of thinking about it is just to change your mind about things. You, you used to think something was right, but now you go, no, that's not right. I need to change my ways. Now, some people think when I repent, that must mean I need to clean up my acts. So maybe whenever... Um, when I become a Christian, I should like wait before I really go through with it because I, there's a lot of things in my life that don't belong in my life when I get rid of some of these bad habits and when I change some things. That's like saying I need to take a shower so I can take a bath. You, repenting is just simply the willingness to say, God, things need to change in my life. I need your help with this because I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. I'm, next time you tell me to do something or not do something, I'm with you there. That's all repentance is. It's just a willingness to turn to God and, and turn away from your uh, way of doing things. So as you think about repenting, then the next step would be to confess Christ as Lord. Paul said if you profess with your mouth, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's something about saying something out loud that just really puts you on the record. And you think it's not significant until you do it. Again, I go back to the wedding. You think it's not a big deal to have a wedding. We can just commit to each other in our hearts and... We don't need to make it official. We don't need a piece of paper to tell us that we're, we're committed to each other. You say that, have you, there is something about standing in front of your family and friends and God and having to say the words that you realize in that moment, it really is real. There is something powerful about standing in front of your family and friends and God and saying, I commit to Jesus Christ with everything, which is why here at Connection, we give you the opportunity to share your faith in Jesus. I understand that it may happen in the quiet of your heart and maybe in a, a place where you're just all alone that you decide to give your life to Jesus. But at some point, I would strongly encourage you to come out and have an opportunity. We'll give it to you here to just say, I do believe Jesus is Lord. I do believe that he died for my sins. I do believe that God raised him from the dead. Don't dismiss that until you actually, some of you who've you've done it and you know how powerful a moment that is to actually say that. And then number five, be baptized, get in the water. You hear about Jesus, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, be baptized into him. It's the biblical pattern, belief followed by baptism. So the question that I get sometimes about, you know, baptism itself, I get a lot of them, and they're good questions, is like, well, how long after I commit to Jesus and I become a Christian should I be baptized? Here at Connection, what we like to do is just say, let's do Bible things in Bible ways. What did they do when they accepted Christ? They kind of did it immediately. Like, when Peter preached that day, what happened? Like, 3,000 people got baptized. That couldn't have been convenient, but they got baptized that day. When Lydia decided to accept Christ, what did she do? She got her whole family. They went in the river, and they got baptized right there. That just seems to be the biblical pattern. When you're ready to commit to Christ, just go ahead and do it. And I understand there's this thought, maybe I should wait, maybe I should learn more. God doesn't expect that from you. It's just another way to just say, I'm all in, and you're literally in. I look in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, Simon himself believed and was baptized. The progression of belief and then baptism. Acts 18, 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, and they became believers, and they were baptized. 
And so that's just to me, it just makes sense. If you're committing to Jesus Christ, we're actually ready to help you do this. Um, we've got a baptistry ready to go. It is warm, probably warmer than it is in here. And um, so we're ready to, I'll tell you, a friend of mine who's from Korea, he says in the wintertime when people are ready to be baptized, they don't wait till spring. They literally go out, and he showed me pictures. They chip a hole in the ice to baptize people. If you think that would help, I'm willing to do that. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to get in with you, but I mean, if that's really what you need, we'll do that. But otherwise, I think we're ready for you here. Sometimes people will ask this question, I committed to Jesus, but you know, it was a long time ago and I never really got around to getting baptized, and so should I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter now, right? My encouragement to you is be, just go ahead and do it. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, it's okay to be obedient to Jesus whenever you realize it's time to be obedient to him. Uh, and don't put it off, we'll help you do that. We'd love to help people take the next step in their faith with Jesus, and if it's being immersed into him, we'll help you do that, and I think that you should do that. Jesus himself was immersed. He commanded anybody who wants to follow him to be immersed. So let us help you do that. You know, some people ask the question, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry about that. Well, why do you guys immerse? Because, you know, there's other churches that do things differently. Some churches sprinkle and some people, churches, they pour water. I was, uh, Gene Apple was talking about, he knows there are some churches that actually baptize people three times underwater in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Bible didn't say you had to do that. But he says, and I, he says, you know, at our church, we just baptize you once, but we hold you under a long time until you bubble. <laughs> we don't do that unless you're really bad, and then we do. I, I don't know if, you know, maybe you come from a faith background where you were sprinkled as a child, and that's, you know, I'm not throwing shade on any church. I'm just saying the biblical example is just go in the water and be immersed because baptism literally means to dunk something underwater. It's a picture of your life. Uh, you were one person, and you go in the water, and it's like you're being buried, and you come out of the water, and it's like you're a completely new person. It's like a beautiful object lesson that God has given us to show us life, death, resurrection, and I wouldn't want to take that away from you. I want you to be able to experience that, and uh, it's, so some of people have this objection, and it's an understandable one. I have a fear of water. I'm terrified of being pushed underwater. I get that, and we've actually had several people who've been baptized in the history of connection who've had that fear, and God has somehow miraculously helped them get past that. And there's nothing that says you have to go backwards in the water. There's ways to get around that. I would hope that you would at least pray about that if that's a concern that you would have that would keep you from being baptized. Another question that people have is, you know, I was sprinkled as a baby. Is that enough? I really think that you need to have a conversation with the Lord about that. Me personally... The Lord hasn't told me that it's okay to tell people you don't need to be immersed. So, I mean, that's cool if, if the Lord told you that. I'm just going to tell you as your pastor, I want you to do this to honor Jesus Christ. I don't doubt the sincerity of your faith. I don't question the existence of your salvation. I just think you should do what Jesus asked you to do. Uh, another question people have is, how old do you need to be? And then maybe you're younger and you're thinking, am I old enough to do this? Is my child old enough? It'd be kind of cool if our whole family got baptized together. My personal take on this is you need to be old enough to believe and know what you're doing. I don't feel comfortable with young children being baptized as much as I believe they have a sincere faith in Jesus. I just don't know if they developmentally understand the commitment of a lifetime. Eight, nine, ten years old, certainly when you're a teenager, you're starting to figure things out. And we'd love to help you if you're thinking about this or you're thinking about your family. What we don't want to do is just say, well, it would be really cool. This is something that you sincerely commit to in your heart, and only you can do this. Nobody else can choose this for you. And, and there have been times where people have come and said, 
Look, I, I feel really uncomfortable about this because it feels like maybe you're saying that if you're not baptized, you're not going to go to heaven, and I had a little baby that died. Are you telling me? My heart breaks for every little child that is lost. My understanding from Scripture, what I infer from Scripture and my understanding of God is that there is no way that that child is not immediately in the presence of Jesus. I think they're okay. I'm, we don't teach that, that. Otherwise, we would be tackling everyone we could and to baptize them, like, you're going to thank me later. That's not how it works. It starts in here, and you show your obedience. And I'm thinking that maybe some of you are ready to commit to Jesus Christ, and you're ready to pray a prayer, and you're ready to go public and say, I'm all in, and I love Jesus, and I'm ready to say he's my Lord, and I'm ready to be baptized. We're ready to help you do that. If you're at home and you feel uncomfortable coming out, we can help you figure out how to do that there. Uh, if you would like to talk about doing something today, you're not inconveniencing me or anyone else. We literally exist to connect people to God and each other through Jesus. We'd love to help people take the next step of faith. If you're ready to take a step, let us help you. Let's start the conversation and see where that goes. I would invite you right now to pray as I pray with you. Father, thank you for the love that you have for us. There's so much grace that we receive from you that we don't deserve, mercy that we would never expect. You're just so kind to us. Help us to take the next right step towards you. Take away our fear. Take away any obstacle that would prevent us from just saying yes to Jesus as Lord. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in my life in this church. The fact that we just had a front row seat to seeing lives literally changed. Eternities literally changed. It's such a privilege. Thank you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you were here today, and I want to continue this conversation. I want you to come talk. I'm going to be here right up front. Uh, this is Jeff Mozingo. Jeff is one of our elders, and Jeff is also available to talk. If you're ready to talk about serious things or you just have simple questions or anything in between, we're here. We're ready to help you take your next step, and I hope you will stop by. As Aaron mentioned at the beginning of the service, next week is our annual meeting. It's a kind of a Sunday where we, we don't have anything official to vote on, but we thought, well, we still need to take the opportunity to talk about who we are and where we're going and our vision for the future. I hope you'll be part of it. It's a really exciting time in our church's life, so I hope you'll be here for that. I invite you now to stand as we have our closing benediction out of Romans 16. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever.